A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 14. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we will get one to you. And I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we come before you this morning, God, thankful for your word. And Father, along with the word, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be challenged by it, that, Lord, you would root our faith deeper into rich soil and that, God, you would teach us what it is to abide in you in all circumstances. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us that, that, Father, in this miracle, Lord, you haven't provided it for nothing and you haven't provided it just to be a show-off, but, Lord, you've provided it so we can understand, Lord, how we could be encouraged to abide with you. So, Lord, we ask that you'd lend us your Holy Spirit this morning, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14. Now, before we get into the teaching today, I have to be honest, it has been an interesting week for the Rueda household, to say the least. And <clears throat> what has happened over the past week has really prompted me to be the Lord has led me to address a few things to the church and for the church so that we would know what to pray and what's been going on. Um, but the Lord would even have allowed something this week so that I'd understand to rely on God's provision. And so for all of you who are newer here, who have been coming to the church since last year, um, many of you know that I'm a bivocational pastor. I've never been full-time anywhere. This church doesn't have any full-time leadership. And in that, uh, for the past year, I have been uh, co-laboring with Philippians Place, and as everything has begun to grow, but with growth comes many different challenges and um, financial stresses and different things. We, I met with the board a month ago, and with the growth of the church, I had already asked us, can we please pray about considering bringing me on full-time here at the church for the first time? Um, I I know that some of you who are new here wouldn't know the, the growth that has happened here, but we know even today not everyone's here. We have added 100 seats to the sanctuary in the past year and a half, and we have 200 more being delivered here um, soon. <clears throat> so the growth has been um, tangible to say the least, and with that has been amazing opportunities for ministry. And so <clears throat> with all of the growth and on the Philippians Place side, just so that you guys know the growth that has happened over there. Before they moved here, there was four classes, and there was four or five people attending those classes, and we would offer $10 an hour for everybody who attends those um, so that they could begin saving up some money for when they, could pay their, when they needed to pay their utility bills, their rent, or anything else. It's been a wonderful service. Now, since coming over here, um, the program and the other programs that are over there, for those of you who don't know, the reason we built the offices over there weren't necessarily for us, but the nonprofits of Philippians Place, You Empower You, and Gates to Change all exist there. 
And to give you an idea of growth as to what happens here at the church between 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day is we provide those classes, and now there are 10 classes a week with 12 to 15 people attending them every single day. So we've gone from $40 a day to $100 to $200 every day, depending on the class, um, times five. And so the expenses have skyrocketed there. We've brought on some other staff, and there have just been challenges that have come with that. And while things have grown and the store has grown, the costs have. And so there was a conversation last week that um, we needed to begin to make some changes. And so um, as I could see that it was necessary for me to be here, but it was necessary for them to focus their time elsewhere, um, I was the first one to be considered to be relieved of their pay in that particular role. <clears throat> now, mind you, we, we had that task set out for May. Um, it just came a whole lot sooner. But the reason I want to bring this to you is that there's a handful of you who are very used to coming into the offices every day to come and see me. Um, we speak about many different things, counseling, whatever it is, is because the board was not prepared for um, this kind of change this fast, and the board has not met yet. This has all happened in the past 72 hours. Um, I'm going to be looking for another part-time job, so I'm not going to, as of today, I may not be in the offices as much as you guys are used to being here. Now, I don't know how that makes any of you feel. I really don't know, um, but I have been encouraged to make sure that the church knows what's going on within the church and that if I'm here less, they should know why and why everything's going on. It's not an indication of anything bad happening. It's just unexpected change. Now, <clears throat> the, another reason I wanted to bring this up is <laughs> that happened, I want to say, Wednesday or Thursday. We had our night of prayer Friday, and our night of prayer for all of you who were not able to attend was just absolutely wonderful. Erica did an amazing job putting it together. I was extremely blessed. I was riding high Friday night, and I walk into my office. I look at my phone, and I have a weird text asking if I was trying to make a purchase, and someone stole our credit card and completely wiped us out. It's all gone. I called the bank, and they can't do anything about it until it's all gone, and they may not do anything about it. And um, <laughs> it's been an interesting week. Honestly, uh, yesterday, I, I had been preparing this sermon for Jesus Feeds the 5,000, and when all this news hit, I completely forgot what I was teaching, and I'm praying about, Lord, why in the world would you allow all of this to happen this week? What is going on? The benefit I got to joke with the pastors is I was all kinds of in my feelings and emotions yesterday, and I hit some personal records in the gym, so there's a silver lining in all of this. <clears throat> but um, the Lord was preparing me to be able to teach this section of Scripture again. And so, but again, with that, before we get into all of that, these, these things that need to be addressed is... Upon hearing the news, I heard a sentiment that was frustrated at the situation saying, why am I not full-time? That is the church's responsibility to have the family taken care of. You, church, should know that the board has been very diligent to try to move in that direction. I made decisions last year not to step on full-time because the church has grown so much that what I offered was throwing my family more finances wasn't going to be able to cover the spiritual need of the church. 
And so we brought on the other pastor, uh, one of the other pastors who was here financially as well as some others. And so I don't want you to think that this is to the neglect of the leadership team. I purposefully opted out of this. So if anybody's gonna be frustrated at the board, please reflect and turn your frustration at me as I'm the one who opted out of it. I wanna make that clear. Um, the other thing as well is we're moving into this this year, again, we, we've prayed and I asked the board to consider by May for us to be able to do that. Um, that is their decision. Some other things. <clears throat> this church has grown up so quick and so fast that honestly I have felt like I'm at least three steps behind at all times. So 2024 is going to be a settling in here at the church for us to focus. But with us focusing in-house and on our staff and on our outreach ministries and everything like that because there is cost for you guys, when we got to the church, you all asked that we would be able to learn to step into outreach, and the Lord has taught us and blessed us and raised us to be a church that is very evangelistic and very outreach-focused, um, so much so to the point that between the church and the other groups that are out here, you should know to kind of give you an idea as to how the Lord has blessed us in that and how he's allowed us to be a tangible aspect of outreach in the community is that... Um, Members within the city of Jacksonville and Onzo County have asked Calvary Chapel to be the hub for all processes for um, re-entry, which is for anybody coming out of prison to be taken care of to make sure they have a roof over the head and some other things. And so ministry has been massive here. Um, but with that comes expenses. And so some of these things are not as easy as, well, let's just fix it. Is that, no, no, the board should pray about it. That's their responsibility to make sure that we're being wise with our finances. But the Lord has answered our prayers and the Lord has risen you guys up to be a loving and caring body. And I know he'll continue to do so. But these are the prayers that are on the table. With that, as we begin to settle in, some things that have come to our attention for the church to know is a nonprofit has asked us to pray about inheriting them and overseeing them moving forward. Another Calvary Chapel has extended out to us and asked that they could give us their radio station and all the rights and all the legal documents to be able to have a Calvary Chapel radio program blasted out of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville, North Carolina along with a few other things. And so while we want to settle down and while we want to focus, there are some things coming down the line that your leadership team is going to be praying about and do come with challenges. Now, <clears throat> those come with financial needs. Those come with servants. Those come with all kinds of things. If you guys wanted to, if you're looking for a church where there are places that need you to help, you have arrived. We are shorthanded everywhere. Um, and so if, can I, can I challenge you in this? Is that while I'm, I'm hitting you with a lot of different things to pray about and consider, um, to remember our obligation to come together and to serve one another as a church. Now, with that, with all of those needs, we have financial needs, we have times of service needs, we have different ministries that are growing, is remember as a church, we that is our first and foremost call is to come together and to be exactly that as a church, okay? And with that, <clears throat> as the leadership team is beginning to settle down and focus and see how the Lord would refine all of these ministries, we do need your help as well. 
you are a part of this church and the Lord has brought you to this place and is using you to do amazing things. But I do know that of everybody here who is serving, there are still some who are not. There are still some who are not giving. There are still some who are not serving. Whatever it is, this is not time to ask for anything specific, but what I would challenge you to remember because there was a sentiment that went around not long ago is that maybe churches are lacking the ability to grow because they have a lack of ability to serve in the community, especially for the younger millennials. Well, that sentiment has turned out not to be true. Churches have grown in service, but the volunteers haven't necessarily shown up or tithing hasn't gone up or anything like that. But the reason I bring all of that up is that another sentiment was said to us that was a little surprising. For those of you who have been here for the past year and a half, you'd see some major physical changes have happened here in the building. Somebody expressed the sentiment that you guys must be doing very well financially. I would say that the Lord has provided exactly what we needed to do exactly what was needed at that time. So if you come to this place and you think that the Lord has relinquished you of your Christian obligation to be supportive in your first fruits of any kind because you look around and like, they don't need it. That's not true either. Is that the Lord has called all of us to participate together, amen? And so I don't know what that means for everybody in here, but I don't want us to think that there is an overflowing of abundant provision here within this church. God has been faithful as we've needed it, how we've needed it. You guys tracking with me on this? And then with that, the reason I'm not full-time is not the board's fault. I've specifically opted out so that you guys would have the opportunity to be blessed by the leadership here. And while he's weird, I hope that you have been blessed by Paul, and I hope that you have been blessed by Pastor Matt as well. The Lord has sent us the people that we needed as well. And so I do want to let you guys know what is going on what the church's needs are, how we're praying, how we're beginning to move forward. And that for everybody who's here, as I'm saying that, there is also this concern that I'm sure is running through the back of your minds is, how much money does the leadership team need? Now, because I know that there is a understanding that there are many churches who, depending on what your opinion is, might say that the pastors are overpaid. There is nobody on staff partially or fully, again, there's nobody full-time on staff, who is not within the poverty line here within the church. There's nobody who is making an extravagant amount of funds. So if that is a concern of yours, please know, and that is not a complaint. The Lord has taught my family and I to live extremely well on extremely little. I don't need to be above that line. But if it, is, if it comes to your mind to think, are they prepping these guys to be six-figure guys? None of us would be willing to be that guy. So just so you know, is everything is modest. Your leadership team is very wise. Um, If you want to talk about any of that with the board members, if you guys could put that slide up there really quickly, the board members specifically, so they can yell at them, not me. Sometime. We're waiting. Almost there. Do you find it? There we go. All right. 
So just so you guys know, these are the, the men who have been commissioned to oversee the finances and the leadership of the church. Now, a few of them are exterior. Pastor Kevin Edwards, Pastor David Marini, Pastor Ben Lawson, and Mike Callahan are Calvary Chapel senior pastors and leaders of the surrounding Calvary chapels. Some of them have been lawyers in their background. Some of them have been accountants. They are professionals to make sure that we are handling everything to the best of our ability in a way that is wise and responsible. The rest are in-house specifically charged with that. And so you have Adam Walker, you have um, Jerry Rader, who is one of our advisors. Tom and Greg, they're newer to our elder board. Um, And while they might not have the answers for you right now, there are men who can certainly provide them for you. And so um, the pastors don't necessarily get to make the financial decisions on anything here in the church. We lead spiritually, and then the board makes sure that we're not doing anything crazy. So with that, if you have questions, set up a time. We'd love to sit down. Our books are open. You guys are welcome to have a printed out version of whatever we have. It is the beginning of the year, so Marion would probably appreciate the sentiment to say, give her a couple weeks as she's wrapping things up to be able to print that for you. But you guys may also have access to our bylaws at any time so you can see how our church functions financially and how our church functions legally. With that, that's all I got. We're gonna get into the word and we're gonna get into God's provision in a miraculous way. And again, I wanted to let you know what was going on in our household so you can understand that I am wrestling with this particular text today, but it's here for a reason, amen? And so with that, we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And if you would now stand with me for those of you who are able so we can read the word together. If you're there, would you say amen? It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot <clears throat> from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. And he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You guys may be seated. So here, as we've just taken all of that in, we get to see God's miraculous provision within his ministry. Now, the first thing I want us to consider as we spoke about this last week is that... Jesus and his disciples are at the tail end of a retreat of sorts. Last week, we talked about the death of John the Baptist and the ministry that the disciples were accomplishing. And at the, at the hearing of this news and at the end of this long bit of ministry, Jesus would encourage them to retreat to a desolate place so that they could be refreshed spiritually, 
mentally and physically for the ministry that was going to come ahead. It was necessary to be rebooted by the Father so that they could continue to do ministry well. And I want to note something to that that I didn't necessarily note last week. Is when we're speaking about Jesus, there's always something interesting about him in particular when it comes to the text as he is fully God and fully man. When I say Jesus needed to do something, I also have to remember that he is God and that he has a supernatural ability to be full at all times. But Jesus in his setting the example in leading would take his disciples as we should also take this prompting that at the time of being tired or overwhelmed, it is necessary to go to the desolate place to be refreshed. Now, hopefully everywhere that we would go to be refreshed might not be described as a desolate place might be the beach or somewhere else nice, but still the place of refreshment is absolutely necessary for the believer. But then, <clears throat> as they are at the end of this, it says, now when Jesus heard this, I'm sorry, it says he, re- he retreated to that place, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And so as we move on from this, we're going to see a couple things that are really important about Jesus himself, is we're going to see his compassion, we're going to see his awareness, and we're going to see his provision. But after this bit of rest, I think it is important that we note, that scripture would note Jesus's compassion for the people. And as we're reflecting on retreat and as we're reflecting on refreshment and we see Jesus at the tail end of this, who knows whether it was sufficient or not, Jesus expresses compassion. Now, what is compassion? That is a care for others' distress paired with or together with a desire to alleviate it. Now, as we speak about compassion, what I would encourage you, church, is that our church has grown in a great bit of its ability to express compassion, but there's never a point when I think any Christian should be settled in their ability to feel compassion. Is there a great many amount of people who are good at expressing it while not being able to feel it at all? And that there's often times when, especially when we're speaking about evangelism and we're speaking about outreach, it's not compassion that the believer or the person feels at all. What they actually feel is judgment and they apply an evaluation of the person before they would ever extend a hand of compassion. And what happens in turn is that those who are receiving the extended hand, sorry guys, there's a ring behind me. For those who would receive that extended hand, I don't know about you who have ever received one, But whenever there is judgment and evaluation attached to that extended hand, you can always tell that it's there. And it comes with this this receiving of the gift. There's always bitterness attached. But Jesus would, in fact, not just express compassion, but would, in fact, feel it for the people. Now, Jesus is not performing any kind of ministry that we wouldn't, 
Jesus is dealing with the crowds. This is a mixed bag of intentions. There are literal disciples here within this group. There are unbelievers here within this group. There are those who would come with selfish intentions. And while the intentions might be good, they're still selfish nonetheless. But Jesus is able to express this kind of care. We need to ensure, and I don't think that we can ensure, we need to pray that God would teach us to feel compassion for the lost and for the weary. Again, we can be very quick to dissect who a person is before we would extend a loving hand, but that's not always the most loving and it's not actually the most biblical way we could do it. And remember this, and this is a challenge because some of you would say, well, I need, I need to make sure that somebody's worthy of my care before I would, before I would express it. Can, can I challenge you with the fact that if you had to be worthy of a loving expression before Jesus would offer it to you, none of us would have been offered a loving expression at all. Jesus is speaking to the crowds knowing full well their state of heart, their state of mind, and their state of spirit. And regardless of whatever that state was, felt compassion. And so one, are we able to express compassion? As brothers and sisters, I do believe there is some truth to the sentiment that a person should be able to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. But oftentimes we never consider whether the person has boots to begin with. It's a faulty premise already. But even if that were the case, oftentimes we withhold it because we lack compassion within ourselves in the first place. So brothers and sisters, do we feel compassion for the lost and for the weary? When we see someone, are we quick to judge and evaluate or do we desire that their pain that they're wandering, that they're walking in darkness would be alleviated. And while we know that we can't alleviate it, the person who can is within us, and if his spirit is within us, then that spirit should be overwhelming. So first we see Jesus express compassion to a crowd. And again, church, we are growing in this, but we have not arrived. Let's continue to pray that the church would grow our ability to express and to feel Christ's compassion in all that we do. But then we get to verse 15 and 18 when it says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, to them, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Now, when we're talking about people, let's get some detail work out of the way here. Is remember in scripture, we, we often remember this as Jesus feeds the 5,000 because it's titled that. Jesus is feeding 5,000 men plus their friends, significant others, and children. This is 5,000 people minimum. And at this, he's about to separate them up into groups. It looks like he separates them into groups of 50 until there's that, this 5,000 figure somehow. This is about to be an impressive feat no matter what, but something I want us to notice here. 
The disciples come to Jesus not expressing a complaint or a gripe. And I want us to notice that because a lot of times we assume the disciples are doing something wrong because they put their feet in their mouths quite often. But here, all the disciples are doing is acknowledging what they think is the obvious. It's been a long day of ministry. Evening is setting in. And they're not bringing a complaint to Jesus. They're saying, hey, might we consider wrapping this up so everybody has time to go to the towns and pick up food and prepare for the evening? That's a perfectly, can we be honest? That's a perfectly rational response at the end of a long day if there's at least 5,000 people standing in front of me and I don't have a grill. Hey, look, people get hangry fast. I, I, I need to get them fed. Anybody who's ever hosted a conference before, you get two to three sessions maybe, but if there's not food after that second or third one, you're losing attention real fast. And it's not graciousness you're going to hear. It's going to be griping and complaining. And so the disciples, well aware of our humanity, are saying, Jesus, might we consider sending them away? But Jesus would respond in a way that only Jesus can because Jesus is aware of a spiritual reality here at this time that the disciples are not and one that we are not always often of or often aware of ourselves. He says first, well, feed them. I can't imagine being one of the disciples looking at the crowd in front of me and having Jesus, no matter what the quantities of food I have are, him saying, well, just go ahead and feed the people. But that's what he says. And the rational response is, well, Jesus, I only have a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. What, what am I supposed to be able to do with this? And, and can I note that in our, in our relating to anybody here, it's always wiser that we don't relate to Jesus. We're trying to be like Jesus. As we relate to the disciples here for a moment, Jesus isn't meeting them in an aggravated nature. He's beginning, he's beginning and is about to teach them something spiritually profound. But here I wanna encourage you that you do have to acknowledge what is happening in front of you for you to be able to bring it before the Lord at all. And so in terms of everything that I shared with you guys a little bit ago, is all of this news begins to compound this week, is my wife will tell you, I'm one who tends to withhold and to let things build within myself. That tends to be when the gym is my closest friend. But <clears throat> over this week, I got, I got a bit of advice from one of my closest friends and that communication is something that I need to work on. And at reflecting on it, communication to my friends, my wife, and even my leadership is certainly one thing, but I was lacking in communication to the Lord in this particular week. And that I do know that God is aware. And can I, can I say, for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a little while, we all, for those of us who have, our first thought is, I know God knows. So I'm just not gonna say anything about it. But the disciples are bringing the obvious to Jesus and they're, pointing out what they think is the simplest answer, and they're pointing out what they think must be done, but Jesus is going to re rebuttal them in loving kindness that, no, there is actually something else that can be done here. But brothers and sisters, I would encourage you that if you want to see Jesus do something at all, you actually have to bring it to Jesus. 
No matter how simple you think it is, you actually have to bring what is it that you need and what it is you desire and what it is that you would hope for to him. A lot of times we withhold while neglecting the fact that we do call him Abba Father, which means good father. Any of us who have had good fathers, let's acknowledge not everybody in here has, but for those of us who have had good fathers, we bring every little thing to them hoping that we would receive from them. Why would we be so inclined in this spiritual reality to do anything other than that? And so the disciples have done this and he says, well, feed them. And then they say, well, this is, Lord, this is all that I have. And Jesus says, well, bring it to me. Now, can I say that when I read that specific sentence, it reminded me, I, I, I don't know how many of you have ever watched little kids but little kids who are putting their hands on something that they've never worked with before and they have no clue how it works. Um, it's extremely frustrating for them, but it's hilarious to you who is watching on because it seems like this really simplistic thing should be easy, but they get really frustrated. And if it doesn't work the way that they want it to work, slam it on the ground, throw it, it's broken, this is good for nothing, or they just end up staring at it. And oftentimes you kind of have to go over and lovingly gesture to them and show them how simple this thing can really be for you, but for you to be able to enjoy whatever this thing is. So like uh, two days ago, my daughter was given um, a tricycle and she's out in the middle of the cul-de-sac. Now my daughter, Maggie, I love her very much, but she puts zero effort into anything ever. The second that it doesn't work, it's done. She's in the middle of the cul-de-sac. I'm actually not sure how she got there. She might have even successfully used it to get there, but she's in the middle of the cul-de-sac just yelling, mom, dad, and won't move. But you can imagine both the pedals are sitting kind of parallel with the ground and she's not strong enough to generate any kind of force and she's just quit. And so going out there and teaching her like, hey, why don't you put one foot down push just a little bit, get some inertia going so that you can begin to pedal. Immediately, once she was able to roll, thanks, Dad, and smiling. The, the end of the world was no longer the end of the world. It was the best day again, just within a moment. But here, Jesus is doing something similar here with these disciples in that you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. Take a second, bring it to me, though. And I don't think you should overlook that. And him being a good father is... Jesus doesn't want you to figure it out. Jesus wants you to let him figure it out and show you how it's supposed to work. So here, he doesn't say, you multiply the bread and the fish, you multiply the food, you make a plan. He says, bring it to me. And can I say that with that, in his awareness, Jesus is fully aware that their supplies are lacking. Jesus is fully aware of their confusion but he's fully aware of the need that needs to be met. And can I, I hope this would be an encouragement to you. Whatever your need is today, Jesus is fully aware of all of those things for you as well. But something else that Jesus is fully aware of is his ability to make it well. So not only are we gonna look at, or not only do we see his awareness, but we see what we often tend to have, like I had, is he has a lack of concern or fear. Jesus is not concerned in a bad way at this moment at all. Fear is absent of Christ. He knows what the answer is going to be. And I'm sure as a disciple looking on is 
well, Jesus certainly seems very confident. Maybe I should be as well. And how can we at least see that the disciples might have been confident that Jesus knew he was doing? They still took the time to, gr- to break the people up into groups of 50. If you don't think Jesus is going to be able to perform the miracle, you're not going to do the work that is necessary on your part. So they believe in what Jesus is saying and they begin to break the people into groups of 50 or hundreds of 50s, whichever section you're looking at, either Mark or Luke. And then Jesus goes on to provide his provision. So look at verses 19 through 21 with me. It says, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So after all of this, we get to this particular section that seems to be the most befuddling to me this week. And I would probably think it's safe to say can be very frustrating to those who have ever been in a very tangible kind of need. When we get into sections of scripture and we see God's provision, but for some reason we see it lacking in our lives, we begin to question whether it's there at all. Now, as we look into his provision, there's a few ways that we can walk away from this kind of text, and I don't believe all of them are good. First, we can walk away with the false hope that God will provide for us in abundance like he did for the entire group. It can be really easy to read this text and emphasize the wrong way, the abundance of God's provision. Now, what do I mean by that? We read about the story of the 5,000 and we walk away thinking, if God can do that for them, they can do it for me. But what we actually mean is that we don't acknowledge the fact that the people were just satisfied. We assume we're going to get the 5,000's worth of provision for ourselves. As we assume that God is going to bless us with this over and abundance, and I'm not saying that he won't ever, he may sometimes. But we read a story like this and assume that, okay, well, if he's gonna do that, then he's gonna do that for me right now without acknowledging, and I would please note, please highlight this in your Bibles. Each individual within the 5,000 ate until they were satisfied. It doesn't say until they were gluttonous. It doesn't say that they all had take-home bags or boxes. It says that they ate until they were satisfied and the disciples loaded the extras somewhere else. While this is a grandiose miracle, it was just enough for each person's individual need. Then we could walk away, assuming that no matter where we go, Jesus will provide miraculous provision. This is another kind of false hope somebody might walk away with, but the problem with this kind of evaluation is it is still self-focused in its interpretation. And what do I mean? Is that a lot of times we can read a section of scripture like this and assume that no matter where we go, God's gonna provide no matter where we go without acknowledging that the provision is not based on where the disciples reside. And if it's not based on where the disciples reside, it is not based on where you reside. The provision is based on where Christ is. 
And so before we move forward thinking wrong, because it would cause us to be too bold to go somewhere without praying first, and I know most everybody in here has done this, we have certainly thought in our own mind, God is sending me to go do this. And hopefully somebody wise would say, did you at least pray about it first? You're like, nope, I know this is where I'm supposed to go and God's gonna provide for me. And then you get there and there's no provision there. This miracle happened because Jesus was there, not because of the disciples being there. The disciples are learning this lesson along with the 5,000 plus. And so here, we have to remember, because it will cause us to stop and consider and pray, where is Christ? Because wherever Christ is, is where he's leading me. And wherever Christ is leading me, then his provision will be in that place. Brothers and sisters, just because you claim to be a disciple does not give you the freedom to go wherever it is you would desire to go. A disciple goes where Jesus goes, no farther, no less. Then we get to the we or I might walk away wondering, when is Jesus going to provide for me like this? And this is just being transparent. It's easy to read a section. You're like, man, I'm seeing something miraculous, but why am I here? This can be one of the most frustrating things about how God provides at times, especially if you've been in a place of holy reliance for an extremely long time. It can be tiring to be in a constant state of such tangible reliance. And I would say this, this kind of reliance is a fantastic, fantastically wonderful job of stripping a man of all of his pride. Because there's nothing within me that can resolve or fix the issue. It's wholly dependent on the Lord. Now, uh, I have a friend in here who's heard me bring this movie up a couple times, so get over it. But there's a movie I really, really enjoy, and it's called Cinderella Man. But there is one scene in particular, for, don't, for those of you who don't know what this is, this is a movie about a boxer who fell on hard times as the Great Depression has struck America. It's a true story. And this man who was on the top of the world at one point has now fallen into such destitution that he comes home and finds his wife has sent the kids away to go somewhere safe because their electric is turned off, everything is gone. King of the world ends up having to go with his hat upside down to all of the people who used to be his peers begging for money. Now, <clears throat> anybody who is a provider in here, to ask for anything of another man is extremely humbling. To ask for anything of another man when you can't do anything about it is embarrassing. Now, I would say to this, for the Christian within the church, God is going to allow some of us to come upon those hard times. And it's not because you did anything wrong, it's because God has led you there in part. There are some circumstances that are cultivated out of our sin, and there are some circumstances that are cultivated out of God's leading. But I would say, if you are in need within the church, and you have done all that you can, 
all that is within your realm of responsibility and you are here within this place, know that there is no shame within the kingdom of God to need God's provision. Can we remember that for two seconds today? The church exists, specific, one of these specific reasons is to aid the body of Christ. Because life actually happens, whether it's in our control or not. And so here, as I'm in this situation, you get this news and it's all gone. I can't do anything about it. And Jim and Marion were still at the church when I found out and I pulled them over. I'm like, what do I do? I haven't told my wife yet. She's sitting in the corner of the room and I'm like, I can't tell her yet. Is there a way to fix this? Like right now and we scramble. There's no way to fix it. I'm not telling you what bank I, I bank at, but don't bank at this bank. It's the worst. They said that you're not, you're probably not gonna get your money back. And if you do, it could take up to 90 days. That's if you do. So it's like the, the news keeps comp compounding. And so now I find all of this out and I have to go tell my wife that all of this stuff, it's all gone. And that's the worst news ever to deliver to the people who are relying on you to provide for the household. But God is so faithful. And can I say, my inclination at the beginning of all of this, as, as many of our inclination is to gripe about the situation that we're in, is to complain that God's provision is not satisfactory and that it is not enough or that it's inconvenient. We need to be cautious of this kind of character because our lack of care for what's been provided doesn't negate the fact that there's still been miraculous provision. While there was still no provision in that moment, if I had taken two seconds to look back and reflect on situations that have been similar, God has never left us flat. We're here. I have the opportunity to preach this message because God is faithful when I have not been and my wisdom has been lacking or whatever the reason is, but we're here. It brought me to consider the Israelites as God would have to provide for them in their daily need as they could not provide for themselves. We consider Numbers 11. We're not gonna read through the story for the sake of time because children's ministry teachers will have my head if I do. Numbers 11, I encourage you to read it. The people of Israel have been freed from their captivity and they're wandering. And what God has done is he has supernaturally provided all the resources for them to have manna. But because they have grown tired of eating the same thing every day, what they've done is complained and griped to God that they would have something else more satisfactory. Now, as we read that story, we think that's insane because you're waking up every day to supernatural bread appearing at your feet every morning. But we do the exact same thing. I was doing the exact same thing. I was seeing God's provision, but it wasn't what I wanted. And because it wasn't what I wanted, I assumed it was unsatisfactory when it was still miraculous. And it says that when they heard his complaining, it sent God into a rage. But as God and Moses would converse, it said that his anger was subsided for a moment. But here the people would continue to gripe and complain and not consider that what they had been provided while it was satisfactory was good enough. 
God would let them have the meat. He would let them have it, but it wasn't going to produce the results that they wanted. And it wasn't going to provide the things that they needed. So many people died from this complaining as God's provision would be relinquished, even when it came to the breath in their lungs. So can I encourage you, as I I had to be encouraged in this, you who are weary, there is a difference in bringing a care before the Lord and complaining to him about what he's done for you. But this does require us to be able to, and it may take some very purposeful time, but to acknowledge and thank God for what he's given you each and every day. So how, how do we walk away from a text like this? If, if I'm not supposed to walk away thinking I'm going to be given 5,000 pe- people's worth of bread every day, if I'm not supposed to walk away thinking that wherever I tread, God's gonna provide for me, if I need to be careful how I would evaluate this, how should we walk away from this? We should walk away from this text full of confidence knowing that if we have needs as we seek the Lord and walk in his counsel, his provision will be sufficient and good for what our needs truly are. And you know, that, may, that might take some self-reflection and consider what our needs really are. And I will say, as, as Americans, we don't have a very good grasp on what needs are very often. But God still supplies for our needs, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And he provided for them here. And so I don't want us to look at this miracle today and think, again, that God's going to provide this over in abundance for me, no matter where I go or any of these things. Because what's going to happen if you do that and Jesus doesn't? You're going to blame Jesus for something that he never promised you. Can I say that some of you are hearing that and you're like, well, there's no way. The amount of counseling I do for those who are weary and down on their luck who would say, God never gave me what he said he was gonna give me is astounding. And it's always based on this false premise that God is going to deliver all the things that they desire rather than God's real promise of providing what it is that they need. And when we walk away with that thought or we would let somebody walk away with that thought, we're walking away being the ones to blame for them blaming God for their misfortunes. Brothers and sisters, we have to have a right understanding of the word so we wouldn't set ourselves or anybody else up for failure. God is good and so is his provision. And this closing thought is that The Lord's provision is good and it's all that we need. And so I know that we spoke about a lot today, but that is our takeaway. As we look at this miraculous situation, as God would look at compassion at a group of people who have followed him into this desolate place, as he could send them away to figure it out himself, he provides supernaturally just for their needs God will provide for you should you be where he is in exactly what you need. And can I encourage you, if you're not satisfied with it, pray that the Lord would teach you to be satisfied with it. Because in our flesh, we want more. 
it's really easy to look over to the person to the left and to the right and think, why do they get to have so much more than I do? For some reason, the Lord has determined that they need that thing. And if they're faithful with what God's given them, they won't hoard it for themselves, but they will use it according to the will of God. And for some reason, the Lord has determined what it is that you need. And if you are faithful, you won't hoard it either. Can I, can I encourage you in that? Even in your poverty, should you be poverty stricken, we can still be hoarders of God's miracles. We're still called to utilize well and faithfully what God has given us no matter what the amount is. And trust and know that if you are faithful as God is faithful, he will continue to provide what you need. And so I hope that's, I hope that's an encouragement for you today. I hope that would remind you to maybe speak to somebody that you would know that God will provide exactly for what they need. Let's stand and pray together. So I invite the worship team back up. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, every single one of us in need of your provision. Lord, that, that provision may vary, but Father, none of us doesn't need your presence. Lord, none of us is filled to the brim with your wisdom. None of us is filled to the brim with your presence. And so, God, with that being the case, Lord, we are all in need. And, Father, we submit ourselves to you in need. God, we don't want to pray for stuff. We don't want to pray for the bread. We don't even want to pray for the fish. Lord, what we want to pray for is more of you. God, we pray that we would come to understand and know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That God, you would teach us to dwell there so that Lord, our eyes and our spirits wouldn't wander for things apart from you. Because God, I'm sure of this group, there are some who, there are some who went back to the towns to seek out their own food, and Lord, they missed out on this miraculous event. Lord, I pray that none of us would be that wanderer. God, I pray that you would remove any inkling within us to reside on our own pride and our own understanding. The Father, you might even remove from us the idea that, Lord, you would be obligated to bless us no matter where we would go. But Father, we would remember that, Lord, you promised to bless us if we walk wherever it is that you go, Lord. So God, teach us to be your disciples. Teach us to be men and women of God. Teach us to be satisfied in you. We ask all of these things in your name.